Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, if Italians are from Italy, where are battalions from? Battalions would be from, I guess, technically from Buttoli. Yes, that's where they're from. They're Although from by, by spelling, by spelling, they're from <laughs> Battoli, which actually makes a kind of sense. <laughs> Why? Because battalions battle. That's oh, battley. Oh, that's very do. good. That's very good. That's but I just wanted to say buttily. I wanted to make you say buttily. <laughs> well, I'm glad that made you happy, Hank. It's it's the little things in life that really matter right now, like getting people to yeah. say buttily, which isn't even <laughs> isn't even a funny word. Like every time it I say it, you laugh, word. but it's not. It's not a funny word. Yeah, like if like, there were a place if, called Buttley, it would be. F- I it wouldn't like trip me up every time the way that the name of the eighth planet does. <laughs> seventh, <laughs> seventh, uh, seventh, yeah, seventh. I always think Jupiter is seventh because I associate the number no. seven with extremely large objects for some reason. Oh yeah, I hear that. Uh huh. But it isn't. Yeah, the, I have this problem with months where I think that. The, the, the farther from summer you get, the longer the month names get, which is kind mm. of true, it's but it mixes true. it up sometimes and confuses me, especially in Montana, where April is definitely still the winter. As is March, actually. Right. March is a little longer. It, no. The name. No, it's, it's the exact same <laughs> length. But, but I and L are very thin. Oh, you mean like the way that it exists in your mind? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The physical right. space. The day. <laughs> I, I mostly think in terms of characters, not in terms of like the length of a letter. Yeah, but it's interesting how the different oh, brains man, work. This is the high quality content that people download <laughs> our podcast every week for. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what it's come to. And Hank and I trying to... <laughs> not directly talk about 2020. We are now talking about (laughs) the relative length of March and April, not as months, Mm -hmm. but as words. Also, just like, eel. Huh? Nothing. I was just thinking about the way they sound. March feels like a big... March is a good word. Big word. And April seems like a little word, even though it's got two syllables and March only has once, but like, March! 
just feels very big. Do you ever think about anyway, the fact Johnny, that <laughs> all the all all humans are going to die, and like then at some point nobody will be around to like translate our language? Yeah, and then our language will, will be gone as well. And nobody will know that March was a slightly mm-hmm. angrier word than April. Yeah, I do think about that, John. And I think it's important that just because of like our roots here on Dear Hank and John that we do interface with that reality sometimes, occasionally. Because that's, you know, it's where yeah, we... Yeah, this used to be a podcast about death. <laughs> yeah, we, we've left it behind a little bit because it's a, it's a lot. At the moment. Yeah. We look forward to the days when this can again be a podcast about death. <laughs> when everything else on Earth has stopped being about that. Uh, the first question comes from Abigail, who asks, Dear Egg and John, I'm doing a phone interview for a writing internship at a teen magazine next week. I've never been interviewed for anything before, and I'm very nervous, especially because even ordering a pizza on the phone makes me stressed. Because it isn't a video call, I can be wherever I want in the house. Where should I sit during my interview? Should I take notes? What will I do with my hands? Any dubious advice would be greatly appreciated, Abigail. Boy, it's it's I all I also had to learn this. Now I get on a phone call and I know exactly what to do with my body. I know I know what works for me. But yeah, I, rem- I remember those days when I was like, what am I supposed to even be doing? Yeah. Where do my hands go? Well, and it's a form of getting nervous, right? Like part of getting nervous is imagining the situation and you can't imagine the situation unless you can imagine where you're going to be and like mm-hmm. what's going to be in front of you. Mm-hmm. I do have strong opinions about this though, Abigail. So I think that you should be in a room with, where you will not be interrupted and without yeah. outside distractions. So like a room without screens, for instance. And I think you should have yeah. physical paper and a pen. And I think you should feel free to doodle. Yes. Because there have been studies that say that actually when you doodle, you do a better job of paying attention and retaining information if you're a doodler than if you don't. And I also think that you should take notes as you find them helpful, but that you shouldn't feel mm-hmm. obligated to take tons and tons of notes because really you want it to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the most important notes to take are questions that I have because mm-hmm. I often forget them. So in the moment they're talking, I have a question and I don't write it down. And then they finish talking and I'm like, what was that? And then I'm like, yeah. I had a question. But I forgot. I can't it. remember what it was. I forgot the question and I'm just talking now to try and remember the question. And I sound like a dope. So I try to avoid that by writing down the question when it pops into my head. So having a pen and paper is good. And pens, it like in general, it helps me, and this is me, to have something to do with my hands. Sometimes I stand up and walk around. Sometimes I hold a pen. Sometimes I have a fidget. Sometimes I doodle. It, all that stuff helps me concentrate uh, and not get distracted and, and like get lost in some unrelated thought. So yeah, I think that, that all those things are important. Being in a, a space that is somewhat physically familiar is good because then you won't be distracted by things in the space. But that sounds like it's probably going to be the case no matter what. But yeah, I think that's great advice, John. G- good luck, Abigail. Let us know how it goes. Also, uh, if it's helpful, you can always tell them, you know, I, I'm, I'm such a good writer that I actually got my question answered on yeah. noted American third tier <laughs> advice podcast, Dear Hank and John. Yeah, who knows? And it's very completely normal to be nervous in situations like this. Embrace it. I've never been in an interview where I wasn't nervous. Me neither. I don't really clearly remember the last time I wasn't nervous. It's been a few months. (laughs) Yeah, when I say I'm never in an interview when I'm not nervous, it's just what I'm saying is I'm just the nerves. I feel them. Oh, boy. 
This next question comes from Tara, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was recently listening to John's podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, on Staphylococcus aureus. By the way, Hank, I don't know if you heard it, but I did a uh, episode of my podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, about staph mm-hmm. and staph infections. Mm-hmm. I... I I am opposed to them, but lots of people have lots of, <laughs> lots of different takes. Anyway, do other animals get sick as much as humans do? That's Tara's question. <laughs> I mean, I've had to take my dog to the vet once or twice before because he's felt sick for some reason, but humans get sick all the dang time. The list just goes on and on. It's not just staph infections. It's also flu, malaria, cold, strep. So what's going on here? Is there something specific to humans? Are we just like weaker than other organisms or do they get sick as much as we do? We just don't know as much about it. Uh, there seem to be uh, several different things going on here. One is that we live a lifestyle that is good at spreading disease. Super good. Yeah. So that's, that seems to be the biggest piece of it is that, like, your dog doesn't see that many dogs on a daily basis. See some. See right. some, you know, you run run into other some other dogs, but there's just like on average, the average person sees way more people and is around way more people than the average dog is. Also, dogs travel a lot less in their average yeah. lifetimes than humans mm-hmm. travel in their average lifetimes. Yeah. But there is more to it than that because we are also susceptible to certain waterborne illnesses in ways that many other mm-hmm. mammals aren't, but some some other mammals are. Yes. And we're not really sure what this is about, um, except that, like, we've gotten good at avoiding diseases in various ways. And that means that it's that, that they kill us less. And so we are it is less important for us to develop strategies to not be killed by them uh, genetically, like in terms of how our bodies are built, because we have cultural ways of preventing those diseases. Right. That's a big deal. I also think it's a big deal that we have relatively long lives, Mm -hmm. like compared to dogs or cats, for instance. Yeah. And so we get sick more because we're around for longer. (laughs) And the other thing is that a lot of animals in the wild do get sick um, and they die. Yeah, a lot of times they die. Yeah, like a lot of illnesses in non-human animals are are fatal illnesses. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. Like things that we handle pretty easily in ourselves, like tooth decay, for example. We have ways of treating cavities early, but they can be can easily be fatal if left untreated. We don't think about that anymore because we treat them. There are also a lot of animals that aren't here anymore because of diseases, like uh, yeah. the kuai o'o stopped existing largely because of avian malaria, partly because of other human brought problems. And so we don't hear about those creatures getting (laughs) sick because we killed all of them. Yeah. Uh, But usually like big enough populations usually have ways of getting around serious infectious diseases. Um, even if they have really tremendous impacts, th- that ecological niche remains and some some animals are able to repopulate it. But like the process of having that happen is really, you know, includes a great deal of suffering and we do, don't want that to happen to people. So we uh, <laughs> have all these other strategies and we're we're good at it. We're And not, like we're, we're better at it now than we used to be. Um, and we're going to be better at it in the future than we are now. We better be. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I think it's a weird time, Hank, to be tooting our own horn in re <laughs> disease knowledge and treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And response. Yeah. 
Agree. I feel like when you say we are good at it, you mean like as a species, we have the capacity. Yeah. Not like as the, as a species, we always do this. Yeah. This next question is from Tiffany, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I am writing to you in the midst of a thunderstorm. I grew up in Tornado Alley, so we really got some doozies. And I remember all throughout childhood being told that if you count the number of seconds between seeing lightning and hearing a thunderclap, you can estimate how many miles the lightning strike is away from you. And I believe it was one second equals one mile. Is this true? The lightning I just saw seemed a lot closer than the corresponding thunderclap would suggest. Also, my cat is hiding underneath the kitchen sink, which is irrelevant, but adorable Tiffany. This is one of those pieces of misinformation that is so widely shared and is a little bit actively dangerous. Now, obviously, is it is it the most actively dangerous yeah. misinformation that's being shared in in the year of our Lord 2020? No, but it yeah. is it is wrong and it is really and it it leads people to have a false sense of security when they shouldn't have one. Yeah. When you see a lightning strike and then you count the seconds until you hear the thunder, 5 seconds equals 1 mile. So 1 second equals 1 fifth of 1 mile. What confuses me about this is that it's Actually, there is a number, and it's very clear, and it's easy. It's not hard. It's, fi- it's five seconds. Five seconds equals one mile. I mean, it's not exactly, but it's, it's very close to five seconds equals one mile. But And before the internet was a thing, we counted, and we... That was our rule in growing up in Florida is one second is one mile. And like that information spread around yeah. person to person the way information used to. Uh, and and But now we are in a world of really easy access to more information, but we're still stuck on the like 1985 version, one second equals one mile. We need to, we need to correct this misunderstanding. So five seconds equals one mile. One second equals one-fifth of a mile. 20% of a mile. Which is not a large distance. Not very far. Go inside. Yeah. Honestly, go inside if it's five seconds. <laughs> like, that's only a mile. <laughs> yeah. When we were growing up as kids in Central Florida, we were always taught that if you hear thunder, go inside, which I think is great advice and, like, why not? Why not? Inside's great. Well, I mean... It's air-conditioned in there. Yeah, but obviously only with... The people who are in your immediate distancing <laughs> group. If you're in the United States, if you're in New Zealand, of course, you can do whatever the heck you want. Absolutely. Okay. This, ne- this next question comes from Anna, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been reading the New York Times bestselling novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. By the way, Hank, congratulations on a beautifully foolish endeavor, your second novel, making the New York Times bestseller list. Thank you. Anyway, my question is, what's a rehearsal dinner? (laughs) They mention one in the book, and I don't understand. Are they simply the same as a wedding party, but the day before? Like a wedding eve? Do you just repeat everything the next day? How can they be emotional (laughs) if you know you'll repeat them? (laughs) (laughs) Pumpkins and penguins, Anna. I was legitimately bummed out when I found out about wedding rehearsals. And I think it was, I think yours was the first wedding rehearsal I never, I ever knew about. Yeah. Uh, And and like, and I was like, oh, we're going to like do it, but not actually. 
Well, it, to me, it didn't. It, it never feels like you're actually doing a wedding. It feels like you're rehearsing. So, like, you're told where to stand and you're told what's yeah. going to happen when. And, like, because if you didn't do any of that, the whole time, I, I, well, I guess I'm a person who's anxious. And so I like to know what I'm getting myself into. I like yeah, to be as prepared yeah. as I can be. But if you just tell me to, like, show up at the church at 2.30 and by 3 o'clock I'll be married, I, I, I'll be like, wait, what happens and when but yeah well but but like you're eliminating all chance of the unexpected no you're definitely like, not because for instance one of my grooms been fainted and there was no preparing <laughs> oh. for that like we didn't discuss that happening <laughs> at the rehearsal wasn't, that wasn't rehearsed no but that actually isn't the question the question <laughs> is about an even weirder wedding related uh-huh. tradition which is the rehearsal dinner the idea mm-hmm. is that after the rehearsal no here's here's what what happens everybody okay. Pretends to eat food, and you yes. all think, okay, we're gonna put the food down, but there's no food, and the plate comes down, and then you like oh. get your knife and fork out, and you try <laughs> to carve up your fake food, and then you have a fake food fight, and it's really cute. No, all of that is incorrect. This is a culturally specific thing, probably, and it's a much bigger deal in our family than it is in other families. But Maybe, yeah. in our family, the rehearsal dinner is a huge deal where you bring all of the like wedding party and the out of town guests mm-hmm. to a dinner the night before the wedding and the dinner is really just an excuse to have this wonderful series of toasts yeah and it's usually hosted by the groom's family and it could be like at an applebee's or it could be at like a formal dining like a f- formal mm-hmm, reception like an place. Event space yeah yeah And then you have these toasts at the end of the night that, like, people pour so much work into making Mm -hmm. funny and... I I mean, like, I worked harder on my toast at Hank's rehearsal dinner than I've ever worked on any speech I've ever given. I mean, uh, I didn't not work hard on mine. The best speech at my rehearsal dinner was given by my friend Levin, who had gone to the wrong place, and he'd gone to a rehearsal dinner at a different wedding, and he just hadn't noticed. (laughs) And he was there at the, like, cocktails portion of the rehearsal dinner, like, before Uh sitting down for, like, an hour, and he was just talking to people and having a good time. And finally, someone said, so how do you know Jackie and Bob? (laughs) And then Levin showed up at our rehearsal dinner and he gave this, incre- I mean, he's a, he's a professional comedian, but he gave this incredible toast to Jackie and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so it's not the, it is the, it's the dinner that happens after the rehearsal. Yeah. Is like, I think the idea. And, and the, the goal is like all these people, a lot of people came into town. It'd be a shame if we only had one dinner. So we're just going to throw in another dinner. Yeah. Which is expensive uh so don't you don't have to do it but it it is a a, just another chance to have more time together since this there aren't going to be that many opportunities in your life it turns out to have all those people together in the same place and the great news is you get to actually eat it's not pretend eating yes indeed real food occurs This next question, John, comes from Holly, who asks, Dear Hank and John, this morning I made a TikTok about Romeo and Juliet, and it's completely blown up. I am now very mildly TikTok famous. Someone in the comments called me the queen of Shakespeare TikTok. What do I do with this title? If I were the queen of a Shakespeare play, I would probably plan a murder, my own death, or both. But obviously, these choices are not ideal. Hard to be the bard, but harder to be internet famous. Holly... 
So Hank, we included this question because I would say like one out of every 45 emails we get at the moment mm-hmm. is about someone who suddenly just became TikTok famous. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to watch as a person who's been doing this for a while because TikTok is so good at highlighting new content and putting eyeballs on it that it's not uncommon to have something that gets millions of views or even hundreds of thousands, which is a lot, right? Right. But also like compared to other platforms that that view is very devalued because like you're constantly streaming through new stuff and like converting from a view to a follow is less likely and also follows themselves are devalued because people almost never leave their for you page. So it's really interesting like that so many people now are going to get the experience of what it's like to have something that they made get a fairly large audience. And that's valuable, but it isn't like the kind of thing that you can turn into uh, something that can support your career or anything. Or maybe you can. I mean, you know, I think some some people are going to go from being the queen of Shakespeare TikTok to being, you know, the queen of Shakespeare analysis on the internet or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I, I think some of that yeah. will happen. Anytime you're dealing with a really new platform, we don't yet know all the ways that it's going to shake out in terms of like it becoming a job, but also that isn't the only point of doing stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. There are reasons to make work other than to try to turn it into uh, money. Creating is in itself really wonderful and, and having people find your creations and enjoy them is also really wonderful. So yeah, one that's great. And, and try and like follow the joy but, um, and the curiosity. But but if that joy and curiosity dries up, like it's there's nothing wrong with like moving on. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, I saw a presentation by Zay Frank where he talked about the first time he ever had uh, something he made on the internet go viral. He'd sent out like a invitation to a party that included mm-hmm. a series of videos on like how to dance well. And it mm-hmm. felt so good to get all of that outside validation. And it felt, and I, I mean, I remember the feeling of waking up the day that your video got featured on the front page of YouTube in 2007 and just feeling this rush of energy and excitement. And it, it was just tremendously fulfilling. And, and it's natural to like, want that again, you know, like, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. about, how about that? But more like, can I, can I have it every day? Like, and so in this presentation, Zay Frank talked about how, you know, he tried to do a bunch of things and they didn't really resonate with an, a large audience in the same way. So then he mm-hmm. created How to Dance Well too, <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and how we all, like, we all have yeah. this urge to, like, I want to get that feeling back. I want to get that feeling back. And it is a wonderful feeling. It is really intoxicating. But I would say mm-hmm. it's intoxicating in all the ways that other intoxicants are intoxicating, including that it can become a real problem if you chase it for its own sake all the time. Yeah, but but making stuff can be really wonderful, even if it isn't reaching a large audience. So so there's probably an you know an opportunity to have a hobby that is fun. Uh, and maybe will come in handy whether this becomes like whether it's a thing that's like the the most unlikely outcome is that, that like this becomes itself a job. But a very likely outcome is that it informs your understanding of the world in a way that helps you in other work or in other creation um, and also maybe is something that is fun to put on a college like application or jo- job resume or something. Yeah. Also, it's like great conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, like 
20 years from now <laughs> when people are talking about TikTok and, and you're just enjoying a quiet night outside with your friends and people are talking about TikTok, you'll be like, yo, you're never going to believe this, but I, I was actually the queen of Shakespeare TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and people are going to love that story. Holly, I watched your TikTok. It was funny. Uh, good job. And also very insightful. So uh, so it's, it seems like that's a, that's a good combination you got going for you and all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of opportunities in the future. But I do not know how to be famous. Uh, I do not know how to have influence. I do not know what the way to do that, like what's the right way to do that. And I think that like the, the most important thing is that we think about it intelligently, that we're thoughtful about it, that we understand what we're chasing and, and like know when the fuels are healthy and when they aren't. Yeah. I mean, we all fly toward light somewhat mindlessly, right? But we also mm -hmm. all have the capacity to be like, wait, why am I flying toward this light so relentlessly? Like, is there... Is that the only light I could be flying toward? Or if I look in this other direction, is there a light that I could maybe fly toward instead? John, this next question comes from Montana, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when you get a limb amputated, what do they do with it afterwards? Do they, like, compost it or do you get to keep it? Not the state, Montana. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do they, what? like, what it? Compost it. That's not what you said. What did I say? Said, did I say com compost? You said compost. compost and I I don't know is that a regionalism uh, no I think it's how they say it in England but oh oh it's part of your fake English accent <laughs> it probably isn't even how they say it in England oh it's all oh, part of God. your your fake English accent just like comes to the fore Sarah and I <laughs> were talking like, recently well I, John I don't know if you know but I spent a little bit of time in the United Kingdom oh God so occasionally one of my oh, British God. <laughs> oh there's nothing scarier than an American who spent eight days in, in England coming home with a fake British accent. Sarah and I were recently talking about the fact that like having grown up in the South, Sarah grew up in the South and I went to high school in the South, that our natural inclination is always to put the emphasis when we're trying to not have a Southern accent, mm -hmm. our natural inclination is always to put the emphasis on a syllable other than the first syllable because... In Southern accents, people might say like insurance or umbrella or garage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we want to sound like like regular American, <laughs> whatever that accent is. Mm -hmm. So when we were kids and we wanted to sound like not Southern, we would always put the emphasis on, on the second or third syllable. But that sometimes leads to humorous mispronunciations <laughs> when you're just trying to not have an accent. Like Sarah would always say, uh, Yahoo mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with having a Southern accent, of course. It's just that when I was a kid, I happened to like want to sound like, I don't know, like MTV sounded. Right. Yeah, I, I get it. But that that wasn't the question. Right. Do they do they, I apologize for right, my pronunciation? No, right, but right, but to get back to the question, do they compost? <laughs> I think that, uh they don't. They definitely don't co compost. I think that's what they say in England. God, it's getting Just worse write, every time you do it. Write me a write me a letter. Tell me how I'm doing. Oh, they they will. Don't worry. They will uh usually it is incinerated. Uh, it is it is taken to the crematorium, um, and sometimes it is used in science, but, and and th they will push back against this sometimes. But you, in most places in America, 
it's yours and you can have it if you want it. Good to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you can look up and see people who have decided that they would like to, you know, hold on to their remains for one reason or another. Um, and, you know, obviously there are r- religious reasons why some people do this, but also it can just be a matter of personal preference. And it's like, I would like to have my foot. Thank you. I like that the, you think the way that English people say compost is you think they say compost. <laughs> if you think I'm, if you think I'm going to let it go, <laughs> you're yeah, incorrect. Look, look. <laughs> just say say a sentence that has compost in it, but do it with a British accent, John. <laughs> <laughs> You've hit me in my weak point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's not your a... weak point is that you won't just do it, whereas I I have no shame. Let me think. Let me think if I can do it. I'm going away from the microphone to do it into my own <laughs> into my own mouth. <laughs> I can't do it. Well, come on, Jeremiah. <laughs> Why won't you just compost it? <laughs> So was, see, do you think uh, no you think shame? You, do, do, I'm not saying it was good. Do you think that like when English people do an American accent, it's that bad? Yeah, like never, <laughs> it's never that bad. No, no. And when Americans do a British accent, it's not that bad. It's, <laughs> it's never that bad. It's just me. Whenever I hear other people do American accents, because also it's because of the things they say, like you're like, should we should we compost the tea or whatever? But they're all they're always like, hey, bub, want to go get a hamburger? (laughs) It just tells you so much where I was like, I was like whiny about compost with Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like when English people do American accents, they're like, hey, you want to uh, pay $27,000 for a one night hospital stay? (laughs) Which reminds me, actually, that today's podcast is brought to you by the U.S. healthcare system. The U.S. healthcare system, you can either spend $27,000 on the most luxurious two week vacation imaginable by a human being or spend a night in the hospital. (laughs) This podcast is also brought to you by Jackie and Bob. They had a wedding and Levin went to it. And then he was very complimentary and celebratory of that happy couple. I hope they're doing well. I still think about them often. Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Lightning. Lightning, closer than you think. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by drawing something while extremely stressed out. Doodling! It's called doodling. (sighs) We also have a Project for Awesome message to read. It's from Emily. Thanks for donating to the Project for Awesome. To Benjamin. My two-and-a-half-year-old son, Benjamin, absolutely loves both of you. He is especially obsessed Mm -hmm. with my John and Hank bobbleheads. He has to give (laughs) them hugs and kisses every night before bed. Would you mind telling (laughs) Benjamin goodnight? Goodnight, Benjamin. Benjamin, John here. Good night. It's now time to put the bobbleheads back on the shelf and go to sleep. Good night, Benjamin. Put the bobbleheads back on the shelf. That was Hank, Benjamin. He didn't identify himself because he walks around the world constantly (laughs) thinking that people know who he is. Good night, Benjamin. It's Hank. It's time to put the bobbleheads back on the shelf. Oh, great. Now he's going to have terrible dreams. (laughs) Benjamin, thank you for being such a good little guy. And Emily, thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome. Uh, That was very cute.
I can't believe you did that. You know how like Alex Honnold can like climb mountain faces without any ropes because he doesn't have a very active amygdala. I'd love to know like uh-huh. what part of your brain doesn't work that allows you to like plow ahead with that English accent, even though you have to know how bad it is. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. (laughs) Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. I think I did fine. (laughs) I think that one was way better. This next question comes from Leah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my fiance, fiance, my fiance. (laughs) (laughs) Now who's, now, how do they, where do they pronounce it like that, John? How are you going to save that? (laughs) My fiance. All right, this next question comes from Leah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my fiance and I planned our wedding for this summer. And we're going ahead with it, even with the current whole world situation, you know. It was always going to be a pretty small wedding, but now none of us, the grandparents, have been able to make it. We're going to live stream and record it for their benefit, but it just won't be the same. My question is, what else should we do to try to include them and to have a joyful day in such a difficult time? Oh my God. Wow. Oh, God, everybody just, I hope that you're all clapping for John at home. Wow, what a thing. All right, I did it. I knew I was going to have to do it, and I did it. But I just want to state for the record that my (laughs) armpit sweat is out of this world. I'm drenched. All right. Uh, Leah. um, Leah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry sorry about the bummer. That's the end of the sentence. Yeah. There have to be, there have to be people who have, who have tried to solve this problem in some ways, you know. You got to put the laptop on a robot and have it just Roomba down the aisle, Mm. that kind of thing. I think it's more about calling attention to the people who aren't there and paying attention to them and saying Mm -hmm. that you're grateful that they're watching. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's what makes people feel included. If they're just watching a live stream, that, that does start to feel like a bit of a bummer. By the way, Leah and Nick... Um, have just decided to postpone their wedding. <laughs> I just went to their wedding website and found out the same thing. 
So, so all sorry. the people we who are writing we in. We shouldn't and, laugh. Leah, yeah, Leah sucks. I'm I so was sorry. at your website earlier today, and your your wedding was not postponed earlier today, but it is postponed now, and I'm really sorry. Fortunately, you are still registered for saucepans, and I bought you one. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to become a wedding advice podcast if we only reward the wedding people. <laughs> well, I mean, anybody can include a link to their Amazon wish list. It's just that only the people who are getting married do. That was a nice saucepan, John. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a good saucepan. So this became less uh, helpful for for you, Leah, but it became helpful for all the people who are writing us being like, here's how my school is going to open back up and how do I handle this? Because like... Boy, do you not actually know that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. Oh, God. Pre- I mean, that's... Yeah, prepare prepare for what they're telling you to prepare for, but also prepare for the possibility that that's not what's going to happen. The only declarative sentence that I feel comfortable saying right now is that I don't know. Yeah. Oh, and that your English accent is really bad. <laughs> so the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank, is that we have signed a player, which is encouraging because it implies that we will maybe play football this coming season, which would be great. <laughs> yeah. The, the player's name is Che Alexander. He is a fullback, and he comes to us from Barnet, a team that plays, I believe, in the fifth tier of English soccer. This is a thing that we've been doing over the years because Wimbledon has a very small budget. They have to overperform every year. So we sign players from outside the top four tiers of English football, mm-hmm. and then we... Hope that they do a great job. And sometimes they do an amazing job. Like, for instance, uh, Joe Piggott was signed from Mm -hmm. a National League side, a fifth-tier side. Other times, maybe it goes less well. But Mm -hmm. this is the recruitment strategy that that works given the financial constraints that the club is under. So welcome to the club, Che. Alexander, you seem ready to go from your interview that I watched. When you said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at a picture of him, and he looks like a football player. He looks like he he'd does. be good at football playing. He does. He looks like he, he's got all, all the all the major assets you need. The cleats. Um, uh-huh. He's got a jersey on. Yes. You know what? There's an intensity in his gaze, <laughs> which I like. Yeah. And we've also re-signed a number of important players, including Anthony Hardigan, who's been a Wimbledon player uh, since his youth, and also Shane McLaughlin. Uh, So I don't know. I'm feeling... Is it? I mean, is it fair to say I'm feeling good? No, it's not. I'm not feeling good yet. But I cannot wait to see AFC Wimbledon play in their new stadium. That is going to be a magical, magical moment for me. I hope that it happens soon. John, in this week's Mars News... It's time. It's launch time because yeah. we are the planet is currently close to Mars. Our yep. planet is close to Mars. And so everything is launching. Um, the United Arab Emirates launched on July 20th the Hope Orbiter, which uh successfully launched. They established contact with it. So everything went as planned and it will reach Mars and then we'll be collecting data about Mars's weather and helping scientists understand how Mars lost its hydrogen and oxygen. There was another Mars uh, mission launched on July 23rd. It's uh, Tianwen-1, and the name of that mission comes from a poem 
from 300 BC, and it means questions to heaven, which hmm. is really, really great. That is uh, cool. And it has an orbiter and a lander-rover duo, which is the first time something like that combination has been sent to Mars. Like the United Arab Emirates Hope Orbiter, it should arrive in February, and the lander-rover duo is scheduled to land in Mars's northern hemisphere around two to three months after that. The rover and orbiter will be gathering information about geology, the soil, the ionosphere, and uh, other things about Mars's internal structure. And finally, the scheduled for launch, NASA's Perseverance rover on July 30th. So by the time this podcast is posted, it should have been launched and you will know better than I, person listening, how that went. Fingers crossed that that went well. Uh, it is it is launch time. It's a very, very busy sky right now for Mars missions. All right, let's get that stuff in the air and on the very long journey. It's a very long journey, but they will arrive. It's exciting. It's exciting. I know. I'm excited too. Hank. Yes. Thank you for potting with me. And thanks to everybody for listening. You can send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We love reading your questions and we're sorry for all the ones that we haven't answered. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editorial assistant is Dabuki Chakravarti. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The music you're hearing now is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.